Ladies and gentlemen, The Dana Buckler Show is made possible by all of our amazing Patreon supporters. We have a lot of big things planned in the immediate future, and this is possible because of the support this show receives. So what do you get when you become a supporter? Early access to episodes, past episodes that are no longer available on the main podcast feed, and a number of exclusive episodes. Sign up today by going to patreon.com slash howisthismovie. There is a link in this episode's show notes. Once again, we want to say thank you to all of our supporters. You are amazing. Now on with the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dana Buckler Show. My name is Dana, and I am joined by my regular co-host for the 20th Century Movie Club, Mike Scott. How are you today, sir? I am well, sir. Thank you. How are you today? Uh, I am doing fantastic. And we are joined by a guest today. Say hello, Kristen. Hello, Kristen. Kristen, of course, is one of my co-hosts for the tw- uh, for the Dana Buckler Show. And you are on volume 12 of the 20th Century Movie Club. This is volume 22. So it's been 10 episodes. So we're happy to have you back. Well, I'm excited to be back. This should be fun. Perfect. Okay. So wh- what we're doing for the month of October is uh, volume 21 was horror movies. And we're just going to keep that trend going. So volume 22 will be a continuing look at horror movies. So... Like we always do with uh, with the show, when we have a special guest on, we always let them make the first pick. So, Kristen, what is your first recommendation for Volume 22 of the 20th Century Movie Club? Okay, so my first recommendation is something from the year 1988, and it is the movie Waxwork, which happens to be one of my favorite uh, cheesy horror movies, but it also is... Really an interesting, I guess, science fiction type movie as well. There's a lot, a lot of cool stuff about that film that I enjoy. So tell me, Dana, Mike, have you guys ever seen Waxwork? So I'll go first on this one. This is a movie that I've heard of, but I had not seen it until just a couple of days ago. And I'm going to tell you right off the bat, this movie blew my mind in such a great way. I was shocked at how much I enjoyed this film and how you know, this is a movie that, you know, for probably not having the biggest budget, it had a ton of set pieces. It had some really interesting characters. It had a really interesting story. And I was absolutely captivated by this movie. And I was honestly quite shocked that I had never seen it. But more so than that, I was a little bit shocked that this isn't more in the pop culture lexicon of good horror movies from the 1980s. Mike, what are your thoughts on Waxwork? Oh, I like Waxwork quite a bit. First of all, the the, the biggest thing about it for me is one of my absolute favorite actresses of all time is Deborah Foreman. So any movie that has Deborah Foreman in it gets a big thumbs up in my book and she is in Waxwork and she's fantastic in it because she's fantastic in everything. I have not seen Waxwork for a long time, but I know I enjoy it. Um, and certainly the circles, you're right, Dana, in that it's not more in the pop culture conscious, but certainly the circles, the horror nerd circles that I run in, it's a pretty well-respected movie. Um, We didn't really cover any of the plot, just very quickly for people. uh, You know, it's about a group of friends that go into a wax museum and bad things happen with the wax figures. Um, But uh, there's some really creative set pieces, uh, some really kind of good action horror scenes. I think this is a great recommendation, Kristen. I think this is a perfect, especially if you kind of like the 80s Halloween, you know, horror movie vibe. Um, I think this is a perfect recommendation. So one of the things I love about the movie is it has like your quintessential archetype characters of each 
group, you know, so you have the, the like you mentioned, Deborah Foreman is excellent and she plays the, the perfect innocent, the virgin, the, the good one, you know, and then you've kind of got the bad girl played by Michelle Johnson. She plays China, who's that bad girl, you know, the one that's always trying to be promiscuous. And I love how they all get invited into this waxwork museum and it has to be at midnight that they all get there by this creepy old man as they're walking to school and nobody's like, should we check it out first? You think this is a good idea? Yeah, let's all go. Let's do it. And then what, what I really like is when they get there, how unique, and Mike, like you mentioned with the set pieces, they're really well done and each exhibit in the museum is a different tale of horror from history and kind of an interesting piece of trivia about that that I didn't know until I started doing a little bit of research about it, but um, they wanted to incorporate three different displays in the Wax Museum for the film, but for legal reasons, they weren't able to. And one of them was Jason Voorhees from Friday the 13th. And then they wanted to do the five children from the Village of the Damned movie from 1960. And they wanted to incorporate The Thing from 1982. And I guess they weren't able to incorporate those exhibits, but it's really cool how they've got the one with like the axeman and the werewolf. And then when everything, obviously, you know, you, you step into the exhibit and everything comes to life and, and these characters become a part of the exhibits and how creepy they all get. But I love how it pays tribute to all these different types types of movies with so you've almost got the part with like creature from the black lagoon type characters and then you've got the alien and then you know the vampire and the werewolf and so it's just a super fun movie for people who've seen cabin in the woods which is obviously not a 20th century movie it, it's got a very similar vibe to that right mm -hmm. like it, it it very much is kind of a proto cabin in the woods and that's that's what i think is so great about it that's what i think makes it so much fun oh mike that's a great point yes that it absolutely has that feel of cabin of the woods this was there a, a sequel or a remake or anything that was anything come out of this movie? Because again, this was one that was completely off my radar except for the title. They did do a sequel, Waxwork 2, which I have seen, but I can't quite remember a whole lot about it. It's, it was a long time since I've seen that one. I do know that it, for me, it wasn't as good as the original, in my opinion, but, but they did something in the early 2000s called House of Wax with Alicia Cuthbert, which it seemed like it was kind of, I thought maybe kind of trying to be a remake of it, but it was just a completely different movie. So it wasn't exactly a remake, but the concept of, you know, the Wax Museum and the characters coming to life was, was there. Fair enough. Excellent. Mike, any closing thoughts on Waxwork? Uh, yeah, Waxwork 2 is not great. And they recast, <laughs> and they recast Deborah Foreman. So <laughs> to Waxwork 2. But, uh, but Waxwork 1 is a lot of fun and, and people should definitely check it out. Excellent. All right, perfect. Mike, what's your first pick for episode 22? So my first pick has been one that's been on, as as you know, Dana, I've got a list of movies that I kind of want to work through recommendations here. And this one's been near the top for months, and it's just never really been the right time to recommend it. But I think we're doing horror movies. It's a great horror movie. It's one of the best horror movies of the 80s. I think this is the perfect time to recommend it. So my first recommendation is uh, the 1981 uh, John Landis film, An American Werewolf in London. For those those who haven't seen it, uh, just a quick synopsis. Two friends from New York, David and Jack, are backpacking through the moors in England where they are uh, sort of warned that they shouldn't walk through the moors at night and they don't really listen and they get attacked by what appears to be a werewolf and things go from there. This is I think one of the quintessential horror comedies. There's a lot of ways, you know, horror comedies kind of fall in two categories. They're 
like a horror movie with a little bit of comedy or a comedy with a little bit of horror. I think this one is definitely in the horror movie with a bit of comedy. This is a horror movie first and foremost, and Landis is at his A-game on this one. Everything that he does well, he does well in this movie. I'm hoping both of you have seen this one. Uh, I have seen this one multiple times. It is, the the word you use, it's quintessential 1980s horror. It is, above and beyond anything else, it is a lot of fun. It's a movie that doesn't take itself too serious and has a lot of fun. And we cannot even begin to talk about this movie without talking about, spoiler alert if you haven't seen this movie, when our, our main protagonist goes through his first change into the werewolf, because that is one of the greatest uses of practical effects ever put on film. What do you think, Kristen? Oh, yeah. No, I love this movie. It's <laughs> It's been, a, it's funny that you mentioned this one because it's actually on my watch next, you know, watch list on Amazon right at this moment to watch like this week again, just to rewatch it because it's, it's such a fun horror movie. I've seen it so many times and it never gets old. It's just a great movie, great story. And I love the practical effects in this movie. And the soundtrack on this is phenomenal. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. So, Mike, we can't talk about this film without talking about, I think it came out in 98, uh, An American Werewolf in Paris. Yeah. Before I get into that really quick, I do just want to tag on to something you said, Dana, about Rick Baker, who did. For those who don't know, Rick Baker did the practical effects in this. His work is so good that the Academy actually created a best makeup category. We have a best makeup category. Academy Award because of the work that Rick Baker did. And really because of the work that Rick Baker and his protege Rob Botan did in a movie called The Howling that came out the same year. If you like practical effects, this is this is the mothership calling you home if you like practical effects, especially if you like practical makeup effects. American Werewolf in Paris is not great. Uh, it's, it's really not. I think it has some value. I happen to really like the the two leads, Tom Everett Scott and Julie Delpy. I like them in most things they do, but the biggest problem is they do some CGI transformations rather than practical effects. And this is 1998. This is when, you know, if you're not getting a Michael Bay level budget, CGI is not great. And so it really undercuts a lot of sort of any potential scares that you might have because the werewolves just look awful. I don't have either of you guys seen it. I saw this. I saw it in the theater. And the sad thing is that was 21 years ago. I can't tell you one thing about it, except that the marketing of the film uh, heavily used the band Bush. I remember in the trailers and the marketing for the film. That's all I remember about it. Yeah, I've, I've yep, not Machine seen Machine Head. Machine Head, yep. yep. Yeah, I've not seen I've not seen American Werewolf in Paris. Not seen it. It's 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 completely skippable. Uh, <laughs> there, there's there's absolutely no reason to see it. You know, if you end up watching it like you're, I don't know trapped at a party and somebody for some reason puts it on you're not gonna run out of the room screaming there's enough professionalism on display but it is completely skippable (laughs) okay uh let's see i guess i'm gonna make a pick this time so uh, i wanted to go with a theme inside of a theme so we're doing horror movies but i wanted to do the theme i want to go with was sequels that tried something different. And I'm going to keep coming back to a franchise that we've talked about a few times on here. And it's a movie that initially when it came out in 1985, it was not as well received as it 
is today. It certainly has had a resurgence in popularity. And that is 1985's Jack Shoulder directed A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. And this is a movie that I find myself revisiting more so than any of the other Nightmare on Elm Street films as of lately, because it is something that is so vastly different from the rest of the Elm Street films. And uh, for those who haven't seen it, uh, the events of Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 take place five years after the events of the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Our main character, his name is Jesse. Him and his family have moved into 1428 Elm Street, which was the house that was uh, lived in by Nancy prior to that. And he starts to experience bad dreams involving Freddy Krueger. But what sets this movie apart is this film, unlike the other films in the franchise, brings Freddy into the reality, sort of with body possession. And it's it's something that was never really explored beyond this film. I, I will say this, uh, to me, of all the seven or eight Elm Street films, we're counting Freddy versus Jason, the remake. Maybe there's nine of them if I, if I sat down and did the math. This one, to me, still has the scariest kill in the entire franchise. And spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the film, it's when Grady is killed in his bedroom. It is the most menacing and terrifying death on screen. So, Mike, what are your thoughts on Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge? So, it's actually funny. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 is actually the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie I saw. I saw it before I saw Nightmare on Elm Street Part 1. So, I have quite an affinity for it. The other thing that I think is uh, really kind of important to talk about is is something that obviously I didn't notice when I was a kid, but as I've rewatched it, I've seen seen it the the main the main actor a guy by the name of mark Patton, is is gay and there is a very much a lot of of really interesting subtext that i to be honest with you don't feel qualified to discuss but i will point people to the uh never sleep again documentary there's quite a bit of information about it there i like it because you're right dana it's 100 a sequel that does something different you know the formula for nightmare on elm street hadn't really been locked in at this point um Wes craven wasn't involved and and so we have a chance to do something totally different here and jack shoulder who is a very solid director really does try and do something different here i think this is a great recommendation uh kristen have you seen this one i have yeah you know it's been a long time since i've seen nightmare on elm street too but it's a good one um and probably one of the more memorable ones for me just because there was so much you know the violence in it i think it does have kind of the most scary scenes of, of all of the you know the nightmare on elm street i think that one's definitely one of the most terrifying and maybe it's because i, I saw it so young too um because it is an older one so stands out for me as being pretty memorable with that um a lot of fun scenes in it too you know when it comes to um like the group of friends and their high school parties. And so it's it's a good one. I think it's a really good 80s horror film. And I think it's a great recommendation. And, and I wanted to touch on again, like one thing I this film does very differently is when you look at and, and listeners, I'm sorry, we're going to get into heavy spoilers. This movie came out 34 years ago. So, you know, I'm, <laughs> Thank you, Dana. I'm, I'm hoping that that people have seen this. And if not, just hit pause for a moment. When the coach is killed, when Grady is killed, like, Freddy is not, pardon my French, he's not fucking around with them. You know, he's not doing little things to trick them into thinking they're in a different reality. He just shows up and kills them. And it's just brutal. And I just, again, that to me is some of the scariest stuff that I've seen in the entire franchise. 
Well, and we get that massacre at the pool party, right? At the or like a barbecue, yeah. and 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 it's it's a, it is a very different Freddy. It's the same thing that happens when you watch the first one. If you know, we have this thought of Freddy as this almost sort of court jester slasher. You know, he's the one who makes all these jokes, and there's the really ironic ways he kills people. But in the first and second ones, that formula is not in place yet, and so we just have a much scarier much more uh, intimidating Freddy Krueger. Um, I also did want to point out um, for people who are more interested in Mark Patton's story at Fantastic Fest a couple months ago, they premiered a new documentary that is going to be released this year called uh, Scream Queen My Nightmare on Elm Street about his experience making Nightmare on Elm Street 2 and his life after that that I've heard very good things about. Okay, so Kristen, we're going to turn it over to you for your second pick of the episode. Ooh, okay. So for my second pick pick for the Halloween, I guess, horror movie episode is a favorite of mine. And it is by Stephen King, uh, directed by John Carpenter. And it is 1983's Christine. So Christine, for those of you that don't know, is about a car that is possessed. So much so that it can come back from being completely smashed down to little itty bitty pieces at the end, of course, which is awesome. But um, so this kid, you know, um, his name's Arnie. He's kind of the nerdy kid and doesn't have a lot of friends, I guess, played by Keith Gordon, gets this car. He sees this car and it's almost like this car speaks to him. He has to have it. And it's in a junkyard and it's not running. And so he gets it cheap, fixes it up, works on it. And the car is the iconic Christine car. And the, the car comes to life and starts killing people. And basically this car is a girl, you know, he's named it Christine and she's obviously in love with him, you know, and, and anything that he tries to do to do, that doesn't include the car. It's basically like she's going after the girl that he likes. He, she's going after his friends if they're trying to keep him away from the car. And it's really neat because the music that, you know, the car communicates through music, which I love 1950s era type music. I just love that. So like Buddy Holly, um, you know, Big Bopper, all that kind of music. And the car plays the 50s music, which if you listen to the different songs that the car plays, it's all by artists that did actually die in untimely young deaths, which is kind of creepy too, and a creepy element there. But yeah, I just, I, I love it. I think it's one of my favorite movies. I, I have happened to have a car named after me because <laughs> I'm Kristen, Christine, it's similar. So hopefully it's not as evil as this one. But tell me, guys, have you seen Christine? Uh, I, I saw it once or twice. Uh, it's been 20 years since I've seen the film. Very familiar with it, but... Uh, I, I need to, it's a, it's, for me, this one's a complete need to revisit it. And I know I've heard you talk a, a lot about, you know, Christine and how much you love it. So I definitely need to rewatch it. So I'll defer to Mike. Mike, your thoughts on Christine? Because I know you are the biggest John Carpenter fan I know. Kristen, thank you so much for being somebody else that recommends a John Carpenter movie. I love <laughs> John Carpenter. I, <laughs> I have to stop from recommending John Carpenter movies every week. Uh, and so you've opened the door for me to talk about one, uh, but I didn't recommend it. So nobody can blame me. Uh, I love Christine. Uh, I, I think it is, it is a, it is a fascinating movie in Carpenter's career because it comes right after the absolute box office disaster that is the thing and and you know 
box office disaster is in no way a criticism of the quality of the thing, but there's it's undisputed. It was a box office disaster. So this was basically a work for hire film on the part of Carpenter. He was lined up to direct Firestarter, but that fell through. And so basically they put him on this one and he wasn't even really that excited to do it. He, he's He's been very upfront that it was something that he did for his career. Yet he's John Carpenter and he's so goddamn good that the movie still feels like a John Carpenter movie. You, you can just see his fingerprints all throughout this thing. And he pulls such good performances from actors that, to be honest with you, I don't think are particularly all that great. I, I'm never going to say that John Stockwell and Alexandra Paul are some of our greatest thespians. I think Keith Gordon's good in most things, but I, I think... He's never better than he is in this movie. And the way Carpenter is able to make the car a character in and of itself is is just so entertaining and, and so fantastic. I love this recommendation. I love this movie. Um, it wouldn't be the first Carpenter movie that I would recommend people watch. But if you're already on the Carpenter vibe, then this one definitely has to be on your list. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I have to say, too, Mike, I, I love the movie The Thing. I mean box office flop or not like that movie's great i love that movie yeah it, it, it's 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 not a, i haven't recommended it yet again just because i can't recommend every john carpenter <laughs> movie but it's definitely a stay tuned yes have either of you read the story that this is based on you know what i have i have not and i should but no i have not I haven't either because I will be honest and I'm probably going to get lit up for this. I'm not the biggest Stephen King fan. And so I, I haven't read a lot of his books. Um, I tend to not love horror books. I think horror for me is is better in movie form because I think horror should be short and sweet and to the point. It's why I like horror short stories. Mm. Uh, but I don't love horror novels as much. So I haven't read Christine either. Okay, excellent. All right, so, Mike, what is your second pick for the episode? Now, it's funny that I said that I don't like horror novels because the next movie that I'm recommending is based on a horror novel that I've actually read. Uh, and actually, I think one of the greatest horror novels of all time has turned into what I think is one of the greatest horror movies of all time. And that is a uh, movie based on Shirley Jackson's The Haunting of Hill House. It is Robert Wise's 1963 film, The Haunting. For those who haven't seen it, The Haunting is a basic plot-wise, a bog-standard haunted house story. A group of paranormal investigators go to this house to investigate the supernatural occurrences that are going on inside and bad things happen. But what makes the movie is the way Weiss and his crew use the house itself, as well as the fact that they shot it, even though it's 1963 and most things were color at that point, shot it in black and white and actually built the sets in a way to accentuate sort of shadows and weird perspectives and things along those lines. It is not a movie that is a jump scare horror fest. This is more one that gets under your skin and just sort of hangs out there. But I think it is it is one of the the best horror movies that I have ever seen in my life. Have either of you seen this one? So, Mike, I have not seen this one, but it, it, I'm going to add it to my list because I'm, I'm excited for just what, how you're describing it, where they're using the black and white and the house itself is the character that's the scary part. Because for me, movies like that are even more terrifying sometimes than the blood and the guts because they kind of get in your head and they make you think. So I'm, I'm putting it on my list 
as we speak, I'm adding it to my, my watch list. Like, I'm very excited to see this movie. I have not seen this film. I am going to be the first to admit openly that I didn't even know this film existed. So I'm only familiar with the one from the, the remake that came out in the 90s. So can you speak to that one at all? Yeah, I can. Um, first, Kristen, uh, as far as watching it, also try and watch it with the best sound system you can or headphones, because the sound design in this movie is as good as the visuals. The sound design is they actually created sounds that can cause sort of physical reactions if you listen to it at a loud enough volume. The, the sound design can actually physically unsettle you as you're listening to it. So, oh, wow. yeah, it, it's it's amazing. Dana. Oh, boy, do I hate the remake. And you know me. I do not like to talk negative about movies on this show. I don't like to talk negative about movies at all. But I really, really hate the remake of this movie. I love Jan de Bont. He made he made Speed, uh, which forever will will get him a pass in my book. But the like the remake of The Haunting is everything that The Haunting isn't. It's mm. bright. It's got CGI. It's it, it shows you things. The only thing that's good about it, for me, spoilers, is Owen Wilson, I think, has an all-time yes. uh, death scene in mm. it. But other than that, I hate that movie. So this movie, Mike, this is a G-rated movie. Yeah. There's that's no so neat. Blood. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm excited to see this one. I think I might have to watch this tonight. Watch it in as dark of a room as you can and as loud as you can. And I don't think you'll be disappointed. Oh, yeah. Okay, so for my second pick, I'm cheating a lot here because I've been trying to find a way to incorporate one of my favorite movies of all time onto the show. And this was the one that sort of inspired me to go with the theme of a sequel that does something different from the original. Now, the movie, I'm the original film came out in 1979. It is considered the seminal sci-fi quote, horror classic. It was directed by Ridley Scott, stars Sigourney Weaver. And in 1986, a sequel came out, which was vastly different from the original. The original, of course, I'm talking, the movie I'm talking about is 1986's Aliens, based on 1979's Alien, which was directed by Ridley Scott. 86's Aliens was directed by James Cameron and has Sigourney Weaver returning uh, as the character of Ellen Ripley who uh, in the first film is the lone survivor of a alien attack aboard her ship with all of with her with her ship and her crew everyone of them is systematically killed off she survives and she is thrust back into a situation now what makes this movie so vastly different is it it goes from a horror movie to a straight on balls to the wall action film which still contains a lot of those horror elements uh, aliens to me is one of the best films ever made and i've just been look up look i know listeners are like really data aliens but i had to find a way to get this on the show because it is to this day one of the great films of all time so mike what are your thoughts on aliens it was actually my wild card pick for this week so you and i were on the same wavelength uh i I can only echo everything you've said. Um, I think this movie is as close to a perfect movie as maybe has ever been made. Um, I, it, it is. I, I know there's always amongst Alien fans, there's always kind of this divide. You know, is Alien or Aliens better or whatever? And you're kind of, it's kind of like you're either an, a Beatles or a Stones fan, right? You're kind of one or the other. And I am, I love Alien, but I am solidly in the Aliens camp. I think what Cameron is able to do in this movie as 
as far as maintaining tension while still giving us a, a super kick-ass action movie is is nothing short of amazing. You know, one of my I'm rambling a little bit. Sorry, Dana, but I love this movie so much. Um, one of my favorite subgenres of horror is is what I kind of call military horror, where we take really badass action guys and we set them up against something that uh, makes them being really badass action guys almost worthless. Uh, there's a great Neil Marshall movie that came out in, I want to say, 2003 called Dog Soldiers that does the exact same thing with werewolves. And I just... I love this movie so much. Uh, Kristen, I'm going to hand it over to you or I'm just going to keep going on. And I on mean, about this movie. gosh, I, we can, I can pick it up from there too, because Mike, I love this movie so much. And I mean, it has everything. And I remember, I'll never forget the first time that I saw this movie. Gosh, I was, I was pretty young, but at a friend's house, you know, and it was like a sleepover and we're getting to watch the, a new horror movie that's out on video. And I will never forget the first time watching this movie. It scared me. And then I'm like, this is so exciting. And it's it's scary, but it's great. And the sci-fi, the, the effects, the way that James Cameron shoots this movie. I mean, you would watch it today and it's hard to believe it was made in 1986. It's just hard to believe that that's when this movie came out. And it has everything. I mean, it even has cats, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's got it all. It's, it's a great pick, Dana. And I just could go on and on about this film. I am also of the camp that Aliens, for my opinion, I think is my favorite of the two. I'm going to say this. You know, I watched this movie about a month ago probably for the 30th time realistically for the 30th time and i want to say this about this film but with the exception of a couple noticeable green screen effects very minimal i think it happens twice in the film this movie could be released as is in 2019 and i think people's minds would be blown because you want to talk about the use of practical effects puppetry set design attention to detail every and and one other thing i want to point out i'm just i'm just piling things on the list here is cameron gets great performances out of every single character in this movie no matter if they've got a hundred lines or if it's the pilot who's getting ready to do the drop ship who's getting ready to do the drop like the every single person in this gives a phenomenal performance and it is just it's mind-blowing and i stand by what i said like you could release this 2019 as is and i think it would be the be, it would be the biggest movie of all time mike what do you think yeah it, it you know the other thing in addition to the practical effects so as listeners know we're we're big fans of the f this movie podcast and this was actually the last movie at f this movie fest this year and for those who don't know f this movie fest is a, a twitter-based film festival and it was hilarious because when everybody started watching this movie, all the tweets went to almost zero because the movie's just so gripping. The other thing, in addition to the practical effects that I noticed when I watched it earlier this year at F This Movie Fest was how modern the editing and the cinematography are. You know, we watch a lot of old movies for this, older movies for this podcast, and one of the things I always notice is how much editing and the way shots are composed and stuff has changed over the decades. The way this is shot and put together, literally, you're right, Dana, could be released tomorrow. I think it, it feels so modern and, and it was so far ahead of its time when it came out that I almost think people didn't even fully appreciate it at the time because it was on such another level uh, of what anybody else was doing at the time. I mean, I think it has to be on another level for years, even 
prior to that than anyone has do- had done. I mean, for 19, 1986, the way this movie was shot, the practical effects, I mean, like the scenes and the sp- even just within the spaceship and the attention to detail, it's just stuff you don't get with most 80s movies, even 90s movies. And one thing I want to say, very likable characters mm. for the most part, in, in, and even ones that you love to hate when you look at Paul Reiser's character. Like, But even right down to the Bill Paxton character, the Michael Bean character, like all of them are very like likable characters. If I have one complaint, it's Newt's scream gets to me a little bit, but that is, I think, uh, uh, on purpose. I think she was even hired, if I remember correctly, doing research because she could do such a great scream. And, and you know, and they mostly come out at night, mostly. Um, have either of you guys seen the director's cut? Yes, and I wanted to touch on that. I wanted to touch on, yeah, go ahead, please. But yes, I have seen it. Go ahead. I was just going to say, so I, I actually prefer the theatrical for the most part, except for the fact that for those who don't know, the director's cut fleshes out some stuff with Ripley as far as, you know, when they find her and she comes back, her daughter has has aged and has passed away. And it, it, it does a lot to establish that relationship she has with Newt that I think makes Newt a lot less irritating for me. Um, there's a lot of fluff, I think, in the director's cut, but I do think that that part of it helps. And the, let's not forget in the director's cut, that awesome scene with the sentry guns. Why that was cut out, I'll never know. I just think that's an amazing scene. It is an amazing scene. You are correct. Yeah, I don't think I've seen the director's cut. I think I've only seen the theatrical version, so I'll have to... I mean, any excuse to rewatch Aliens, I am in. I'm going to do a director's cut watch. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Excellent. All right, Kristen, what is your third and final pick for the episode? Okay, so for my third and final pick, this one is going to be a little bit off, I guess, track seeming, considering the movies that we've been recommending on this episode. But I have to recommend this because it is truly one of my personal, absolute favorite favorites. Um, Halloween comes around and I watch this movie every year, but I watch it fairly often throughout the year too. So my recommendation for my third and final pick is 1986's comedy horror film, Night of the Creeps. And it is directed by Fred Decker, also written by Fred Decker. This movie is a lot of fun. It is funny. It's a comedy horror, so a little bit more on the funny side, probably. Um, you have to go into it, I think, with a open mind and a sense of humor while watching it, but it's very well done. And the attention to detail with the practical effects in this film are really, they're well done. It's funny, but its it's still got that element of horror that it catches you off guard. It's got some blood and, and guts. And I love this movie. I think that it's timeless. I think that it's such a classic story. I love the way it starts out in the 50s and just, you know, brings you to the present day. It's just so cool. It's such a fun film. So, Dana, have you ever seen Night of the Creeps? I saw it about 20 years ago and then revisited it last week. And all I need to say is the bottom line. If you've never seen this movie, there's just one name you need to know. And that is Tom Atkins. And he is in it. He's terrific. The movie is, again, like waxwork. This movie is fun and and silly and has some gross out practical effects. And it is, it's balls to the wall. Like it's crazy. And it's just, again, a movie that just doesn't get made today. And I was watching this 
you know, with a smile on my face, ear to ear the entire time. Like, this is just, I get reminiscent when I watch movies like this. So, great recommendation, Kristen. I love Tom Atkins. Uh, Mike, what do you think? Tom Atkins and his mighty, mighty mustache. Is there ever <laughs> yes. been a more virile, manly actor than Tom Atkins? Um, I love this movie. So, for those who don't know, Fred Decker is also a frequent collaborator with one of my favorite directors, Shane Black. And if you've ever seen any Shane Black movies, that kind of tells you the vibe that this movie has. Uh, I think this is a great recommendation. I actually only saw this movie for the first time last year during my scary movie month horror binge that I do every October. Uh, and so I had never seen it. I missed it until last year. And I thought it was a lot of fun. I, I It is... Truly, this is one, Kristen, I think, you know, I mentioned that I think American Werewolf is horror with a little bit of comedy. I think this one is definitely comedy with a little bit of horror, but the comedy is so good and it's so fun. And the guy that plays uh, the main character, Jason Lively plays the main character, but the guy that plays his best friend is just entertaining as hell throughout the movie, I think. I really like this one. I think it's a great recommendation. I had been reading, and you know, take what you read on Facebook with a grain of salt, but I had been reading somewhere, I saw a headline that they're they're looking at doing a, a sequel with Tom Atkins. So I don't know if you've heard about that or not. I have heard about that. We'll, we'll see if it happens. I think the biggest problem with that is that that was probably going to be dependent on The Predator, which, for those who don't know, was directed by Shane Black and written by Black and Fred Decker. That was probably dependent on The Predator not being a dumpster fire. And unfortunately, <laughs> The Predator was a dumpster fire. Uh, so I don't know if the movie's actually going to happen or not. Yeah, well, let's not go down The Predator so, rabbit hole right now. So Fred, I want to just mention really quick with Fred Decker, though. Um, he directed one of my you know favorite, I guess, younger horror movies like for the younger generation is uh, The Monster Squad. So Monster Squad was in 1987, also directed by Fred Decker, but um, there's a little bit of, you know, I love the Easter eggs in movies and the little hidden gems that you find, but there's like a part where there's some spray paint on the wall of this room that, like you mentioned, JC, the, the, the main character's friend is trying to escape from, and it says, go Monster Squad. So I just love that. It's And if you haven't seen Monster Squad, that's a good one too. Mike, thoughts on Monster Squad? <laughs> uh, I think it's, I mean, it's a Monster Squad it's a classic. It, it, you know, it's one that I unfortunately I think I saw a little bit too late in life. I don't like it. It's very similar to when we recommended the Goonies, um, and I was kind of like, uh, I think that's one that you need to see as a kid. But I know it is well loved by a lot of people to the point that there was even a documentary a couple of years ago called Wolfman's Gotten Art <laughs> about the making of it. So um, you know, it's a super popular movie. If you haven't seen it, add it to your list for sure. All right, Mike, what's your third pick for the episode? So. My third pick is kind of me being on some bullshit because I try and recommend good movies on this podcast. But then every once in a while, as you all know, I recommend The Wraith, right? So this <laughs> is this is a similar one. Uh, the next the last movie I'm recommending is a movie that to me is just it's the type of horror movie that could only be made in the 80s. And it, it just oozes 80s and it's a uh, and it's keeping the night of theme from night of the creeps it's a 1988 film directed by kevin tenney called night of the demons and uh if people haven't seen it night of the demons is about a, a teenage goth girl named angela who throws a party at a uh, a mortuary and there people end up getting possessed by demons um and what makes it is the movie is just flat out 
balls to the wall fun. It's got great special effects, great practical effects. It moves, it wastes no time, and it's got uh, the almighty Linnea Quigley in a major role. And for those who don't know Linnea Quigley, we've already recommended her on this podcast because she's in Return of the Living Dead, which Dana recommended. She is the queen of 80s Scream Queens, and she is delightful and wonderful in every movie she's ever been in. So I really, really dig this one. Have either of you guys seen this one? Oh, Mike, I have. Yes, I have seen this one. I, I mean, I've seen this movie um, a, a few times, but just recently I watched it probably, a, I don't know, a couple months ago, maybe. And great recommendation. What a fun Halloween movie. It is, like you mentioned, just the like perfect, like, like the night of, you know, the way this movie starts off. I mean, it's got the comedy elements for sure. The Scream Queens, I mean, it is hilarious. You have the girls dressed up in their slutty Halloween costumes, having a party at a mortuary, and this movie's great. And what I really like about this movie is once it starts, it doesn't stop. Like the, the night goes on and on and on. And then it's like morning and you still have the demons chasing after the girls screaming. And it's just a great pick. And it's a fun movie. I love this movie. Great pick. I saw this movie mid 1990s. And I want to say that I went to watch it again and watched the remake because this movie's been remade a couple times. Am I am I correct on that? It's It's been remade once and there were a couple of sequels as well. Okay, yeah, so I, I don't have a firm memory of the original, but I do remember seeing it. It there, just, I, I gotta, I mean, we gotta rewatch this so one soon. I don't know if this part gets edited out or not, but I have got to mention this because there are some really fucked up, like, sex parts in this movie that I just can, I, it sticks out in my head so much with, like, when she's, like, dead and, like, cutting off her boob. Like, oh my gosh. Like, ugh. Yeah. I you can, just can't puts, unsee that. <laughs> she puts a, a, a lipstick in her boob. Yeah. Yes. She's got a lipstick. Yeah, it it's look and, and folks, I if you're it. thinking about watching this movie, I want to be very clear. This is a 1980s sort of sorority girl horror movie. It is regressive. It is sexist. It is sleazy. It is not for the fate of heart. But it is also so 80s and so much fun uh, so that fun. that I find I'm able to overlook that stuff because it's not sleazy in a way that just makes you feel ooky. But do understand that this is, you know, this is a regressive 1980s horror film. Oh, yeah. No, but it's, it's. I think it's well done. I think that it's sleazy in all the right ways. And at the end, the woman comes out on top, you know, I think is the, <laughs> is the one that gets away, you know, at the very end. So that's always good. But yeah, I think it's a great che- cheesy, funny, dark, great pick for a Halloween movie night. I love it. All right. So I'll round out the episode with my final pick. Now, This is actually one of the movies that really inspired this list because it's the first one I think about when I think about horror movies that try to do something different. And if this one had been successful, I think it would have been interesting to see how the franchise would have moved forward. And I think in 2019, we might still have this what they wanted to do an anthology franchise. And I'm talking about 1982's Halloween 3 season of the witch. Now to understand a little bit about the backstory on this, this movie was directed by Tommy Lee Wallace, who was a production assistant and I believe an editor on the original Halloween. He was part of John Carpenter's sort of inner circle of people that worked with him on, on these movies. Um, after the success of the original Halloween, a sequel was made Halloween two. And 
that was sort of the bookend to the story. And Carpenter and Deborah Hill, they decided they wanted to move forward and continue to make these movies, but they were going to do anthology films. They were going to do standalone movies once a year. And the first one they came up with was this story about a company called Silver Shamrock that is making uh, the most sought-after Halloween masks in the country. And again... Our boy, Tom Atkins, is in the film. He plays a doctor who discovers a patient who, 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 who I'm sorry, I'm not going to get too much in the plot here. Basically, it's about it's Tom Atkins and a lady whose father was killed. They go on a quest to find out what's the story behind these Halloween masks. And if you've never seen the movie, actually, I think the less I say, the better. Uh, this is an incredibly violent movie in some points, in some parts. And it is also... A movie that was lambasted when it came out. It is a movie that did not receive a, a, what I think was a fair shake when it came out. It was so vastly different from the Halloween that we knew. Uh, it, but it even was a little bit meta in the sense that in one scene, Tom Atkins is at a bar and he's looking at the TV and they're playing a trailer for, for Halloween. It is, and this is so keeping it spoiler free, but it is a movie that ends on a down note just like the original Halloween. So, Mike, I'm going to turn it over to you first. Your thoughts on Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. One more week to Halloween, Halloween, (laughs) Halloween. One more week to Halloween, Silver Shamrock. I love that you recommended this. This was actually one of my... a short list to recommend this week as well. I think this is a great recommendation, Dana, and it's very much the definition of a horror movie that does something different. And, and you're right. I mean, if it had been a success, who knows where it would have gone? We might have had, you know, a serious uh, Halloween anthology series, but unfortunately it didn't, and we get Michael Myers back a few years later. Um, but that doesn't make this movie any less good. I think this movie is is very entertaining, very well put together. I'm glad it's gotten sort of a reappraisal over the last few years. And yeah, our boy Tom Atkins is in it again. So Mm. I I don't know what else you need to know. Uh, Just watch the movie. Uh, Kristen, what do you think of this one? Well, I got to tell you, believe it or not, I have not seen this one. Yeah, I know. I I don't, I just, I'm I'm racking my brain. I'm looking it up here and I've not seen it. So this is one that gets added to my list to watch because it looks great. And I love Tom Atkins, obviously, but it looks like a fun one and it looks like a good Halloween. I'm going to have a good Halloween week coming up watching some of these new movies I haven't seen. And it's a, it, look, the movie is a lot of fun and it goes down. It, let's just put it this way. It goes in directions that are completely different from the first two Halloween movies. And it really gets into some crazy sort of mythology. And I don't want to say anything more than that. So Michael Myers is not in this one, correct? Or is he? No. So I've, I mean, I've not seen it. So. No, no. I mean, it's it's literally... It's different. almost like a totally separate... Okay, yeah, it cool. It's a completely different movie. So. Yeah, it has absolutely no relation. It's almost more like a... It's not really Twilight Zone-y because it doesn't have the irony that Twilight Zone has, but it's almost like a feature-length Outer Limits episode. You know, it, it it's completely separate from the Michael Myers mythology, but it it's a really good, just kind of creepy movie, and it does something that a lot of horror movies traditionally don't do, which is uh, puts uh, a lot of children in some pretty legitimate danger. So uh, that's something kind of going for it. Yeah, I'm excited to watch that one. I might have to put that, I might have to have a movie night tonight. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. Okay, so what we'd like to do at the end of every episode is we like to let the listeners know where they can find the movies that we've recommended. So, Mike, I'll turn it over to you first. Sure thing. So, American Werewolf in London is available for rental or purchase 
everywhere that you can rent or purchase movies. It is streaming ad-supported on the Roku channel if you have a Roku. Uh, The Haunting is uh, available for rental or purchase on Amazon or YouTube. Uh, Make sure you rent or purchase the 1963 one, not the the modern one. Uh, I do also want to shout out, I meant to mention it earlier, Mike Flanagan did an updated version of this for Netflix. It's a series called The Haunting of Hill House. It is fucking phenomenal. It is absolutely fantastic and well worth your time. Uh, And if you don't know Mike Flanagan, please check his stuff out. In my opinion, he's never made a bad movie. Night of the Demons is streaming or is available for rental or purchase anywhere. And Shout Factory put out a very lovely, well put together uh, Blu-ray of it last year, I believe. All right. So Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 Freddy's Revenge is available to rent and purchase across all major platforms. It is streaming currently on for free on the sci-fi app aliens right now is also on the fobo app and it is available to rent and purchase across all major streaming platforms and halloween 3 season of the witch is currently available to rent and purchase across all major platforms and it is currently streaming on hbo now hbo go and hbo now with the amazon account Okay, so Waxwork is available to rent on all major platforms. It's also available streaming on Prime Video, Roku with ads, and Vudu for free. So Christine is available to rent on all the platforms, and it is streaming on the Fubo app. And Night of the Creeps is free with ads on Crackle, and then available to rent or buy on all major platforms. So Mike, if people want to follow you on social media... I am at Hibachi Justice on Twitter. Uh, I'm also at Hibachi Justice on Letterboxd, where you will find uh, our ongoing and updating list of movies that we've recommended on the 20th Century Movie Club. Uh, that way, if you want to go back and find out what episode we're talking about a movie, you can just follow me there and uh, follow that list, and you'll be able to see when we recommended the movies that we're uh, talking about. Perfect. All right. Excellent. If you want to follow us on social media, you can follow Kristen on Twitter at Flosshair. You can follow me on Twitter at Dana Buckler. You can follow the show on Twitter at Dana Buckler Show. Instagram is at the Dana Buckler Show. You can check out the website, www.thedanabucklershow.com. You can also email us at thedanabucklershow at gmail.com. So, Mike, as always, my friend, thank you very much. And Make sure you have a wonderful, happy, and safe Halloween. I will do so. You guys as well. Thank you, Mike. It's been so great chatting with you. Likewise, Kristen. It's been a delight. Excellent. And Kristen, thank you as always for being on the show. Thank you. And my name is Dana Buckler, and thank you so much for listening.